You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. Let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation 13. If it would be helpful to you, or if you didn't bring a Bible, please look in the seats in front of you. You can find Bibles that are available to you. And on those, in those Bibles, page 1035 will get you to Revelation 13. Now, the very fact that we are studying Revelation 13 on this particular Sunday might make some of you feel like you've missed out. Maybe you weren't part of our church when we started this several months ago, or maybe you've missed several of the sermons, and you might feel like you can never catch up, but what I would ask you to do is commit to being here each Sunday over the next three to four weeks, and we will be jumping back to passages in the first 12 chapters so that I can promise you, you will get caught up. Revelation 13, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle John writes, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems, and on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. The whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both 
rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who, understand, who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Wow. Now, you likely have questions as I read this chapter. You likely have the question, who is the beast? Who is the dragon? Who is the second beast? And those are valid questions, and we will answer them. You might ask the question, what? What is the image? What is the mark on the right hand or on the forehead? What is the number 666? And those are valid questions, and we will answer them. You might ask, when? When are the 42 months? When will all of this take place? And those are valid questions, and we will answer them. But the most important question to ask of this chapter and the details that are found in it is the question, why? Why was Revelation 13 written? And why are the details given as John has given them? To begin answering that question, we have to remember that Revelation 13 is following Revelation 1 through 12. We have to remember that the context of all of those chapters are the context that leads up to chapter 13. We have to remember that the same author of Revelation 13 is the same author of Revelation chapters 1 through 12, and the same tools we've used to interpret those chapters need to be applied to chapter 13. And when we do all of that, I believe the answer to the question, why does chapter 13 exist and why are the details provided as they are in chapter 13, is because since the foundation of the world and until Christ returns and sets up his kingdom, Satan has produced counterfeits. That's the purpose of chapter 13. And counterfeits, by its very nature, look like they're genuine counterfeits by its very nature passes off as genuine and so that's why chapter 13 is so important in fact look at the big idea in your notes the big idea is that the subtlety of counterfeits and the tragic results of following them should motivate you and me to pursue the genuine this is the big idea of chapter 13 but I pray will be the filter through which we look at all of these amazing details. Three counterfeits, beginning with, number one, the counterfeit trinity. The counterfeit trinity. Verse one introduces us to a beast, but I would skip ahead to see what is behind the beast. What is motivating the beast? What is driving the beast? And that is found in verse two, where the dragon gives to the beast authority, thrones, and power. So the dragon begins to be our focus, and we ask the question, who is the dragon? And that actually has been answered for us in chapter 12. If you look back at chapter 12, look at verse 9. It says, the great dragon, who is the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan. 
So the dragon in chapter 13 is shown to us by John to be Satan. That's why he uses the concept of dragon. He's been developing a thought. He wants us to see that behind the beast of the sea and behind the beast of the earth is none other than Satan himself. To unpack a theology of Satan, we have to go back to Genesis 3. Not much has been told to us by Scripture on the origin of Satan. We know that he is a created being. We know that he is a supernatural being. We know that he had the the role of being an accuser. That's what the name Satan actually means. But we know from the beginning of time that his goal, that what motivated him was to defeat God by providing a counterfeit. In fact, in Genesis 3.1, we see that he came to Eve as a serpent and asked Eve, did God actually say? So what he's doing is he's planting a seed of doubt to somehow counterfeit the command of God. We see that he invested in individuals as we look at the chapters that follow, but then something interesting happens in Genesis 11. After the flood, the family of Noah came off of the ark, and instead of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth, as Genesis 1, 26 through 28 commanded, they actually settled in the east. They built a city with a tower in it to make a name for themselves. They rebelled against the design of God, the genuine trinity that had genuinely given a command. They rebelled against that, and so God was displeased and judged humanity, and what he did is actually summarized in Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. You can look at this later, but Deuteronomy 32 and verse 8 is Moses' summary of what took place in Genesis 11 and the spiritual reality behind the scenes. And that is this, that the nations were given as their inheritance, the sons of God. So Satan and his followers were given the nations of the earth as their inheritance to be able to use them to be able to combat God and create counterfeits. And don't we see that in the Old Testament? Think about the nation of Egypt. The nation of Assyria, of Babylon, of the people group, the Amalekites and the Moabites and the Philistines. And Satan was using, through his demonic minions, the tools that he thought would achieve victory against God in producing counterfeits. Now, there's also something else that's interesting. You can write down Job 1 and Job 2, and we see that Satan had a unique access to the throne room of God. Job 1 and 2 says that the sons of God presented themselves before God in his throne room, and Satan was there as well. So this brief summary gives us a window into what Satan had been doing for generations to defeat God and create counterfeits, but he put all of his chips on the table in an event that John describes in Revelation 12. In Revelation 12, John gives us a window into the 42 months that he's describing in in Revelation 13. The same window into the same time frame of events that we find in in Revelation 11. 
There he described this window of time as 1260 days or 42 months. In chapter 13, he describes it as 42 months, but he's not talking about literal 42 months. He's not talking about literal 1260 days. What he's doing is he's using a finite amount of time in God's plan for redemptive history to show that God is authoritatively governing that period of time and to show that it is from the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ until Christ comes and sets up his kingdom. That's the 42 months. And so Satan put all of his chips on the table to try to defeat God through a counterfeit as described in chapter 12 and verse 7 of Revelation. Look at what John writes. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. So this is heaven's perspective of what was going on in the spiritual realm when Christ was crucified. There's this supernatural warfare going on. And then one of the most important phrases in Scripture, look at verse 8, but he was defeated. Amen? But what's interesting is the defeat was not a defeat as we would expect, where the enemy lays down their swords and there's no more battles. The defeat is further described in verse 8. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. And then verse 9 says that Satan was, the dragon was thrown down. So here's what happened. History was Satan working the way that he worked, with individuals and then through nations to try to defeat God through counterfeits. And then this war is describing when Satan put his chips on the table to try to defeat Christ, and he was defeated. And he knows that his time is short. It's a limited amount of time. It's 42 months symbolically described. And it's the imagery of the dragon falling to his death, scraping and clawing to grab everything that he possibly can as he falls, and he's doing that in the period of 42 months. And he's doing that, as Ephesians 2 gives us a little idea and teaser, through the world system. That brings us to the second person of the counterfeit trinity, which is the beast in verse 1. I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Now, what follows is intentional. You can see it right there in the text. He describes this beast as looking like a leopard, as having feet like a bear, as having a mouth like a lion. He says there are 10 horns with 10 diadems, which by the way, a diadem was a unique crown that uniquely was reserved for a king of a nation. And when we see this, we realize that he's actually drawing from the Old Testament. You can write down Daniel chapter 7. I'll put a table up on the screen to show the parallels. Remember, John uses the book of Daniel extensively for his symbolism in Revelation. And in Daniel chapter 7, there are four beasts that come out of the sea. One looks like a leopard. One looks like a bear. One looks like a lion. And then there's this fourth beast. And the fourth beast, Daniel says, is unique. It's different than any of the other beasts. And he says that that fourth beast devours the entire earth. That fourth beast has ten horns. That fourth beast has horns that represent the kings of the earth. And I think what John is doing is taking that 
prophecy in Daniel that Daniel himself says, I don't understand, I'm fearful over it, I've got lots of questions, and the the representatives of God say, seal that up in a book. Isn't that interesting after what we've studied so far? And I think John is saying, I've got the revelation now. I can explain what the prophecy of Daniel was all about, and that is that Satan is going to use the entire world system to produce a counterfeit trinity. That's why I think John uses the one head that appeared to have a mortal wound. Do you see that in verse 3? I think the English translation is unfortunate because literally in the Greek it says, one of its heads seemed to have been slain. Do you remember anywhere previous in Revelation that talked about a lamb that was slain that stood before the throne? This is a counterfeit. Why does John use this description? I think because he's putting on display that the world system is powerful, that the world system appears to be able to have long standing. The world system seems to be Christ 2.0 and better. The second B, or the first beast, is the world system. But then we're introduced in verse 11. A second beast, it says, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb. And look at this, it spoke like a dragon. You'll see emphasis by John on the fact that the idol speaks and teaches. And the fact is that this, 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 this beast is demonstrated to be a false prophet, to communicate a false message, a false truth which is a third member of this counterfeit trinity. Now, this isn't obvious to the world that it's counterfeit, and it isn't obvious to Christians. In fact, many scholars and pastors that I respect and have read believe that this beast and false prophet are individual human beings. And a lot of ink has been spilt, and a lot of trees have died, trying to explain how it was Hitler or it was Nero and they're going to come back or it's some future world leader. But if you've been following what John has been doing, if you follow how John intentionally references Daniel 7, I think it's pretty clear as the New Testament has been unpacked that these are not individuals, this is a world system. And so just like the Rome of the original audience's day, this world system continues to prophesy a lie that the world system will satisfy, that the world system will fulfill, that true human flourishing is offered by the world system. So in order for us to be able to see this more clearly, we have to understand what is the genuine trinity then. If this is the counterfeit trinity, what is the genuine trinity? Well, number one, it's God the Father. And it's important for us to expand that. It's not just saying God the Father. God the Father's primary role with redemptive history is the predestined plan of redemptive history. In fact, you can write down Acts 2.23. You can write down Ephesians 1.11. This is the primary role of God the Father to predestine the plan of redemptive history. But then God the Son then humbly submits 
to carry out the plan. That's Philippians 2, 7 through 11. 100% God, 100% man, but his primary role is to actually carry out the plan of redemptive history. Then, number three, the third person of the genuine trinity is God the Spirit. Now, by the way, let me just say, I hear quite a bit, more often than what you may realize, that people in our community say Ascend Church doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, I think I understand why that is. It's because I don't preach that the sign gifts have continued. I don't preach that God gifts us with the ability to produce miracles at will. And so people would say, well, you all don't believe in the Holy Spirit. We absolutely do, but here's the thing. We ascribe to the Holy Spirit what the Bible ascribes to the Holy Spirit. Namely, the point in this statement that the primary work of the Holy Spirit and his entire ministry seeks to magnify Christ. That's why the Holy Spirit is working today. So if you have an experience that you think was amazing and there was a vision, there was a, somebody spoke to you in the night, you had something that cannot be explained other than you think the Holy Spirit. I'm not here to argue with your experience. I'm here to ask you, does it magnify Christ? And if the answer is yes, then okay, believe that it was the Holy Spirit. Does it match Scripture? Then yes, believe that it was the Holy Spirit. But if it doesn't, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit, no matter how amazing and unexplainable it was. This is the genuine trinity. But Satan is working with the world system and with the message of the world to somehow counterfeit the message of the genuine trinity. Have you ever heard this statement? Christians are on the wrong side of history. You ever heard this statement that Christ is old-fashioned, that biblical Christianity is a dinosaur? That is the dragon at work attempting to counterfeit the Trinity. John is creatively revealing it through his descriptions and connecting with Daniel chapter 7. So here's the summary. How can you tell if you're following the genuine Trinity? By this, the patterns of your life are submitted to the design of the Father's plan for the glory of Christ and the power of the Spirit. That's how you can tell if you're following the genuine trinity. Number two, counterfeit, the counterfeit gospel. The counterfeit gospel. The, the gospel is simply the good news of hope. The gospel is the good news of hope that there is someone more powerful than the person who needs to be saved. That's the gospel. And so what we see on display is that Satan is actually producing a message of hope through the world system that somehow is conveying that the world system is powerful enough to give people what they need. How powerful is it? Well, again, the description by John is that the world system appears to have been slain and yet continues to exist. Boy, don't we see this in our world today that one of the arguments why Christianity is so out of touch is because just look around you. Look at how modern we are. Look at how much we're accomplishing. Look at how amazing human beings are. Look at how the world system is giving people access to what they really need and they really want. The head that was slain that has been healed describes longevity and endurance. But then look at verse 4. It says they worship the dragon, 
And they declared this statement, which, by the way, you can write out to the side of the end of verse 4. This is almost exactly the words that Moses used in Exodus 15.11. Exodus 15.11, Moses is looking out on the over a million Jews that are spread out before him. And he's reflecting on what God has done to get those Jews to this place. And he's thinking about the fact that Egypt was the most powerful military, the most powerful government, and the people standing before him are slaves. And somehow they made it out of Egypt, somehow they made it through the Red Sea, and somehow they're surviving out in the wilderness. And Moses is looking at all of this, and he says, Who is like the Lord? And who can fight against him? And so the individuals in this 42 months that are looking at the world system in verse 4 say, who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? How powerful is the world system? But then there's more descriptions of power. Verse 6 says that the beast has defeated the saints. Verse 7 says he's conquered them. And then look at the counterfeit of verse 7. The people who follow the beast are described as every tribe, people, language, and nation. Do you remember that description used earlier in Revelation for the people of God? Revelation 5 verse 9. Surrounding the throne, worshiping the Lamb, are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And you see the counterfeit that is provided in Revelation 13. Then also verse 16 says that there is no discrimination, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, have access to the wonders and the benefits of the world system. Doesn't this sound like a counterfeit of Galatians 3.28, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free? Counterfeit after counterfeit. Now, we have to put ourselves in the ancient audience's sandals. Think about who these people were and where they lived. Revelation 1 through 3 tells us that the original audience lived in what empire? The Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had emperors who claimed to be gods. In fact, some of the emperors demanded that the people refer to them as the savior of the world. And their message to the citizens in Rome was that if you follow us and you're loyal to us, you will be fulfilled. You will have everything that you need. You will experience true flourishing, the peace of Rome. Also, historians tell us that by the time Revelation was written, there was a legend going around that was gaining steam that even though nearly 20 years before Nero had committed suicide, that somehow he was alive, that somehow he had resurrected. And so what was going on in the ancient context is that the citizens of Rome were encouraged to worship the emperor because somehow they were told that this empire could deliver to them exactly what they needed, deliver to them what they themselves could not deliver. And the same thing is true for us today. That somehow the world system can deliver to you what you long for. Just watch the commercials today during the Chiefs game. The message of those commercials is this product, this service will somehow satisfy. It will somehow deliver. 
Just watch the news and the talking heads that they are the experts, that if you will just follow them and their commentary on what's going on in the world, you will be informed. You will know what is right. Just look at the way that legislation is being passed, that if you desire to be something different than your creator designed you to be, you can be that. This is the world system. It's a counterfeit gospel. How can we see that this is the objective of the dragon? Well, three times, verse 1, verse 5, verse 6, we see this concept of blasphemy. Simply put, blasphemy is a disrespect of God. That's what blasphemy is. And John is drawing our attention to the fact that the world system, motivated by Satan himself, is intending to disrespect God himself, which here's another definition, the ultimate disrespect is the opposite of what God commands or deserves. And that is a commentary on our world today, isn't it? Frankly, it's always been the system backed by Satan. He disrespects his name, verse 6, his character. He disrespects his kingdom, verse 6, his dwelling. He disrespects his saints, How can you tell whether or not you are following the genuine gospel or a counterfeit gospel? Number one, what is the goal of everything that you do? What is the goal of everything that you do? Is it to exalt Christ or is it to exalt man? Number two, what is the authority under which you are submitting yourself? Is it God or self? Which, by the way, let me just highlight this. I hear stories about this and I hear professing Christians claim this, and sometimes I'm even tempted to do this, you can't have your cake and eat it too. When it comes to the authority of God or the authority of self, it is one or the other. If you claim to be a Christian and somebody shows you what the Bible says and you say, yes, I see that, but I'm going to do this anyway, dangerous ground. I don't care what kind of emotional experience you've had. I don't care how many years you've been in the church. If that is where you are standing when it comes to the authority of God, you are in dangerous ground, possibly revealing you were never saved in the first place. Our formal theology and our functional theology must be consistent. That's why the church is so valuable, that if my what I say about the Word of God doesn't match how I live, as brothers and sisters in Christ, it is incumbent upon you, it is your privilege to come and tell me and mine to you. Because, beloved, if you are genuinely a follower of Jesus Christ, you will follow after the genuine gospel, which is what God says And that alone. Which brings me to number three. What do the patterns of your life reveal? Less self or more self? So let me get practical because some of you might say, okay, wait, Pastor, it sounds like you're going to watch the Chiefs game, and I am. But I thought in number one, you said, Pastor, that the goal of everything that you do should be to exalt Christ. How does a Chiefs game exalt Christ? Well, I can tell you right now, it doesn't. But my path to getting there does. My motivation about it does. The way I interact with it. The question of whether or not right now you're checking to see who's on the injured list. What is the line on the game? What time is the service going to get over? Might reveal that you're on a path of self rather than Christ. 
If I end the service and I go into the connected lunch and I just phone it in and I'm just thinking about the Chiefs, well, that's not exalting Christ. If I approach the, 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 the game this afternoon and there's responsibilities that I have for my family or my family needs me, I can ask them, hey, can it wait? But if I'm focused on my time, this is Jeff time, this is me time, that's a path of self rather than Christ. You see how we can even get to something as seemingly insignificant and unspiritual as a Chiefs game and still apply what we're learning. Here's a summary of the genuine gospel. The genuine gospel produces patterns of joyfully submitting to the genuine Savior and His Word. Is this the pattern of your life? Now, don't just you answer this. Invite your spouse. Invite your small group leaders. Invite your kids. Invite your coworker. Wouldn't that be something if you arrived on Monday to your workplace and you said, hey, let me ask you a question. Do the patterns of my life reflect that I'm submitting to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because Satan is at work creating a counterfeit gospel. Number three, third counterfeit in chapter 13 is this topic of counterfeit disciples. Counterfeit disciples. For the purpose of this section of Revelation 13, I would submit to you that discipleship reveals patterns of loyalty. Would you write that down? Discipleship reveals patterns of loyalty. That, beloved, is going to be a filter through which we can look at these often misunderstood concepts to understand what John is saying. Now, what's interesting is embedded in this section of Revelation 13 is this idea of an idol that is set up by the beast that is breathed into it words that can then speak to which all of humanity is expected to bow in worship. Interesting, isn't it? And I think also intentional. Because remember how John leans heavily on the book of Daniel as he's speaking and teaching what God reveals to him. So would you turn or write down Turn to Daniel chapter 3. Because I think this is what John is thinking of and what he's alluding to to help us explain why he uses the imagery that he does of the beast from the earth who sets up an idol who has marks in people's foreheads and wrists and his number is 666. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel 3 is a window into the Jews in Babylon. And the king of Babylon in those days was a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He was very focused on himself. He decided that it would be a good idea to build a golden idol and simply command his people that when the music plays, the people just fall and demonstrate their loyalty to him. And so the idol is built, the music is played, and the crowds bow. And the imagery is that the leaders come back to Nebuchadnezzar and they give an account for how did the service go and everybody's saying, oh, king, live forever. It went so great. The music was wonderful. Uh, Just everything was well planned and all the people, it was so awesome to, to look down from our perch and to see these thousands and thousands of people who are showing their loyalty by bowing down. But there were these Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And you can imagine, the Nebuchadnezzar thought, oh, well, I recognize those names. Those are part of my leadership team. And so what about them? And they did not bow to you, O king. That did not make him happy. In fact, it says that he had his countenance changed. And he burned with anger. And so he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to him. And he says to them, okay, there must be this little misunderstanding. Maybe you didn't understand it in your Hebrew language. But it was pretty simple. I've, I built this idol. And when the music plays, I want you to bow down to me so that it shows that you're loyal. That's Verse 12 is where I'm getting this loyalty from. It says in verse 12 that what actually made him mad is that the other leader said, this demonstrates they don't pay attention to you. They're not loyal to you. They don't, they don't value you. See, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't interested in the religion of the exercise. He was interested in the loyalty that it communicated. And so he probably said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the music plays, it's pretty simple. Just fall to your knees. Then you can go get groceries. Then you can watch the Chiefs game. Then you can go on vacation and life can continue on as normal. So, everybody bows. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not bow. And that's it. Now he's upset. And he reminds them, do you not know that the punishment for not following the simple command is you being thrown into the fiery furnace? But then... The response of these three is what true discipleship is. Listen to Daniel 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to even answer you in this matter. Love that. If this be so, if you throw us into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So see, this is their confidence. And beloved, a genuine disciple has confidence in the character and instruction of God's word, but sometimes we we don't get it right, don't we? And that's what I love about this. And what they're doing is they're not defending themselves. They're not trying to explain God, which by the way, if we don't understand something, it isn't that God's wrong. It isn't that God is contradicting himself or the Bible is contradicting himself. The issue is with our understanding. And so as a disciple of Christ, we simply have the resolve that these three portray in verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now back to chapter 13. In Revelation You see this interesting verse, verse 9, if anyone has ear to hear, let him hear. And it says, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call to endurance and the faith of the saints. What this is saying is, some people do get thrown in the fiery furnace. Some people do get fired from their job. Sometimes standing up for the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ in worship of the genuine trinity, showing that we are genuine disciples, does not go well with the dragon in his system. But the resolve that we must have is the same as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even if this happens, we will follow you. That's genuine discipleship. And so now we see the details that John unpacks and we realize, wait a minute, this is not a microchip being embedded into a wrist. 
This is not a tattoo being put on a forehead. John is using imagery that he's been using in chapter 7 that he will use again in chapter 14 to demonstrate that the patterns of our lives reveal our loyalty. That's what he's saying. The patterns of our lives reveal our loyalty. And, and what he's saying by, isn't it interesting that he says, if you don't worship, you'll be slain. But then he says, if you don't have the mark, you can't buy and sell. I don't know about you. It's difficult to buy and sell if you're slain. John is not saying a literal slaying or a literal not being able to buy and sell. We, listen, I've heard the stories, you know, Amazon's coming up with a scanning system, and if you're a Christian, they can shut that off. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is for you to be able to function in the way that the world system promises, where you will be comfortable, where you will be given exactly what you want and what you need, and you will experience what the world defines as, as human flourishing, will not be your life. Verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, which I think this is an unfortunate English translation. Because to calculate makes you think that there's some mathematical issue here. Or some of you might be familiar with a term called gematria, which is taking the letters and numbers associated with letters and adding them all up, and somehow that's supposed to communicate kind of a mysterious truth. That's not what this is saying, I don't believe. Because again, look at how John has been using numbers. And what you see in 666 is that it just falls short of what? Seven, seven, seven. And John has been taking great pains throughout 12 chapters to show that seven is associated with God, with perfection, with his holiness, and no matter what Satan does, it falls short. So here's the summary. When we think about what John is communicating He's communicating that it's important for us to be able to rightly understand and determine what God is doing. In other words, it is an opportunity for you and I to show that we can discern the difference between man-centered system and a God-centered system. That's what 666 means. That's what marks in the wrists and the forehead mean. That's what the idol means. Where is your loyalty? Which brings me to the final statement, and that is this. Genuine disciples demonstrate loyalty to the genuine trinity by life patterns submitted to the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the point of Revelation 13. Friend, what does the patterns of your life show? Would your coworkers be shocked that you're a follower of Christ? Would your classmates, would your teachers, would your friends, would your followers on social media, what do the patterns of your life reflect? Where is your loyalty? Is it the genuine trinity submitting to the genuine gospel, demonstrating genuine discipleship, or are you following the counterfeits? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Oh, I pray that after our brief time together, what after an initial reading of Revelation 13 might have seemed to be confusing and 
impossible to understand now makes so much more sense, not because of something I've come up with, but because of 13 chapters of Revelation, because of 65 other books of the Bible, to remind us that Satan has been at work from the beginning of time to counterfeit the genuine. And the tragic destination for those who are following after the counterfeit is an eternity of judgment in hell. Oh, but the contrast to the counterfeit is the genuine, the genuine trinity of Scripture, the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ, and the ability for us to evaluate the patterns of our lives, to see, are we genuine disciples? Friend, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, today is your day of salvation. Do you surrender the throne of your life by turning from your sin and submitting to Christ as your Lord, trusting in his completed work as your hope for true salvation? And then, Christian, is there anything that is stale in your life or stagnant in your life, or maybe you're trying to have your cake and eat it too? Maybe you need to repent, call out to the Lord for restoration. And then maybe some of you, as best as you know how, are living lives of healthy victory, conquering and enduring for the glory of Christ. Remember, that's not in and of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of your works, so that none of us can boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works and for his glory. Father, I thank you for this amazing chapter filled with imagery and concepts that are difficult for us to wrap our minds around, and yet your word is vast. Your word is sufficient. And we simply need to look Genesis to Revelation, and in it we find the purpose, the point, and the prescription for how we can live as true saints of the true Trinity because of the true gospel, bringing glory to Christ. Continue to work that out in our lives, all to your glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray.